So the next beer that we're drinking is our American Premium Light Lager Above Ground Pool. Beer that we did for Craft Beer Week here in Madison. Like most of us, grew up with like your dad's Light Lager. The one that was huge in my household was High Life or High Life Light. This is not like that. Uh, especially since <laughs> since I've tasted it. Your goal was to match it exactly. My goal was to do something similar to it, it, it but I hadn't like it drinking it recently enough, and I have had it since we've brewed this beer, and I've realized that they're very different beers. <laughs> stumbled on into the tap takeover podcast when you start with a dream to help others make great beer it's a natural evolution to start making great beer yourself thus began the genesis of the working draft beer company a brewery and tap room located in the isthmus of madison wisconsin we'll be talking today with the folks who were just a short while ago we're running the wine and hop shop and took the plunge to start the WBDC. As we always do, let's go around the table and put some names to the voices. Hey, if you could, for our listeners, give us a little introduction. My name is Clint Lohman, and I am the head brewer here at Working Draft Beer Company. Andy here. This is Seuss. I'm Ben. I'm one of the owners of uh, Working Draft Beer Company, and I run the uh, wine and hop shop, the homebrew shop, the aforementioned homebrew <laughs> shop. And I'm Jim. So, guys, let's get started with the whole genesis of the Working Draft Beer Company. You own the Wine and Hop Shop. How did this come together? Well, I think there's a couple different thrusts. Whether they admit it or not, every home brewer, even if it's for three minutes, dreams of opening a place. Ryan, who is another one of the owners, the CEO, uh, who's not here right now, uh, he and one of the other owners, Jay, were trying to open a brewery in their garage. And we're finding lots of legal issues with that, which is, I'm sure, very surprising <laughs> to everyone. No loopholes um, here. And then the the ability to open in the space that we're sitting at now, when that became available, um, someone approached us asking if we'd want to open a brewery. Then all of us sort of powwow and like, well, we're never going to get a better opportunity to open a brewery right in the bike path. And so we, about two and a half years ago, were like, all right, let's make this happen. And, you know, pretty soon after that, we enlisted Clint, who used to work at the Wine and Hop Shop, uh, who is assistant brewer at uh, Wisconsin Beer Company, Brewing Company, sorry, if he would want to join. And he did. And, you know, obviously lots of details after that, but that's that's (laughs) the satellite view. Well, that shop was open for quite some time. We don't do much research here, but it was like uh, early 70s, right? It was open. Hey, that, that's some bang up research. Yeah, 72. Um, <laughs> so I was not around for the be- for the beginning of that. Started working there in about 2005 and uh, took over in about 2012. So been been homebrewing for a long time, but uh, yeah, the, this uh, this professional thing is uh, is a new one for me. So, Clint, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey to uh, get to working draft? We're going back to the very beginning. My journey into beer started as a teenager drinking beer well before i was legally able to as long as you were um, with your parents in wisconsin yes that's of course totally they were legal. they were with me at every high school party that i went to and it depends how far north you go yeah. In the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah no i was i was always an adventurous beer drinker you know i'm the youngest in my family so i would send my older sisters on beer runs for me uh, with like a shopping list i would look up stuff online and figure out beers that i was interested in and and have them like hunt for them. That started early on. Out of high school, I just was working in manufacturing, just doing whatever and not anything I was interested in. One of the jobs I had on my commute, I would drive past Ale Asylum every day. And I would look at it and just be like, man, it'd be cool to do that. You know, I always liked cooking and making things. And, and beer just seemed like a really natural kind of blend of creating mixed with manufacturing. And so I finally decided that I was going to take the plunge and really commit my time to to working in brewing. So I had a friend who was going to school at the UW. He's a chemical engineering student. He got a homebrew kit. He asked me if I wanted to join him for a, a day of homebrewing. I said, absolutely. That totally makes sense. Joined him for one brew. Shortly after that, I bought my first homebrew kit and then fell in love with it quickly so you know i went into home brewing with the the goal of working in brewing not necessarily starting my own brewery but just getting a job in professional brewing so i had manufacturing experience 
and I thought that could relate to working in a brewery, which is just beer manufacturing, right? After homebrewing for a couple of years, House of Brews on the east side of Madison opened up. I saw that they're opening up. I messaged them on Facebook, uh, Paige, them being Paige Buchanan, the owner, proprietor of House of Brews, asked me if he needed any volunteer help. He said, yeah. So I spent all my free time for like a year just volunteering with him, helping him out in any way he needed. I was taping off bathrooms, doing all sorts of weird, random projects. He had a number of volunteers. I was the only one that stuck around, was okay with doing like the, the day-to-day mundane stuff just because I, I wanted to do it. I didn't really care what the actual work was, whether it was brewing or not. I just wanted to be a part of it. Did that for a year, and then Paige helped me get in contact with Scott Manning at Vintage. So I got a job at Vintage Brewing Company through Paige. Worked there for about just under two years, and then I went to Wisconsin Brewing Company. Wisconsin Brewing Company, when their first opening, they did some of their first initial batches at Great Dane and at Vintage. So I brewed with Kirby and Mike McGuire at, at Wisconsin Brewing Company at Vintage, and that's kind of how I got to know those guys. Went from Vintage to Wisconsin Brewing Company, worked at Wisconsin Brewing Company for about three and a half years. And then when these guys told me they were opening up a brewery, it's a bunch of close friends that I worked with at the wine hop shop. I should mention that somewhere in there, I was also working at the wine hop shop for <laughs> years. You're a busy guy. Um, I was. I was. I think the entire time that I was at Vintage, I was also working at Wine Hop Shop. I quit Wine Hop Shop when I started working at Wisconsin Brewing Company. Was there for three and a half years, and then when they told me they're opening up a brewery, I was very jealous <laughs> and really excited about the idea and the prospect and the business plan and everything that they had going on. You know, I had a conversation with Ryan about it, and he approached me not looking for me to be a part of the project, just kind of looking for some insight into professional brewing and I left that conversation secretly wanting to be a part of it but I had a good job and I didn't you know I didn't want to leave and then fast forward like probably six months to a year things kind of changed I was more open to the idea of leaving the guys that work at draft were looking for a head brewer it was very serendipitous it just kind of worked out where I was able to join the project they were nice enough to give me an ownership stake so I'm an owner of the company here I am now the head brewer at working draft beer company and couldn't have worked out any better agreed really happy to be a part of it and super thankful to ben and ryan and everyone else for for letting me be a part of it all right man you got the job all right <laughs> <laughs> no, so when you first started this project did you kind of see i need a head brewer or did, was that something you thought you can kind of take on for a while or did you always think you needed somebody in that position i think the project really not morphed but i think our realistic expectations morphed over time at the beginning it was like wow yeah we can run this as a co-op you know different members of the co-op can just jump on and brew when they want and brew whatever they want and then as we started doing more and more of the planning and like you know researching brewing systems and what all goes into professional brewing we're like yeah, that's not going to work. You know, I don't think we're going to be able to like wing our way through like <laughs> solid brewing practices and stuff like that. And then that's when our discussions started like, okay, we're probably not going to be able to do this ourselves. Who can we go to for some help on this? And then that's very quickly our conversation went to Clint because he was definitely at the top of our non-existent list at the time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, you guys really very exclusive list. You guys really had some unusual ideas for plans for working draft. Uh, what were some of the kind of, I don't want to say craziest, but what were some of the more unusual ideas that you had originally planned for how this was going to work? Well, I think uh, one of the ideas that we had, and I feel like we still sort of do it, but it's not quite as out there. We're like We talked about like not actually naming our beers and just like always having a pale ale, always having an IPA you know whatever and just like trying to like get people like all right they're they're always going to have good beer and each batch will be different like you know we'll do a porter and then like the next time we brew it maybe change up the hop change up the malts change up the yeast whatever and we'll call porter version two porter version three and you know that might be a little beer nerdy for the a lot of the public in general and so but we we still do like we have pulp right now pulp culture chapter three i want to say yep and so it's, you know, Pulp Cultures are flagship hazy, which we'll be tasting in a little while. But, you know, each time we make a change that we think is perceptible enough that people are going to be like, yeah, this is a little different. We, we name it Chapter 2, um, you know, because we are a working draft. And so it's just, you know, we're being maybe a little more transparent because, you know, everybody, you know, even Budweiser's changing their, their recipe. They're changing their recipe to be the exact same. But each year, the, you know, the, the malt is going to be slightly different. The hops are going to be slightly different. And, um, you know, I think we just are sort of trying to embrace those intricacies, but then also, like, you know, having the Chapter 2, Chapter 3 allows Clint to, like, 
you know, like, I like this beer, but, you know, I want it to be even juicier. And so then we don't have to, like, start over from scratch. Like, we can take what is a nice beer and just, you know, enhance it a little more. Sure. Promoting constant change gives you the ability to play with things, right? Yeah, exactly. Question about your name. So it's Working Draft, which, you know, makes sense, but it's Beer Company rather than Brewery. How'd that come about? Part of it, uh, we didn't want to be brewing company because we didn't want two ing's in the names. We thought that'd be too hard to say, like working draft brewing company, like just wouldn't roll off the name. And so, just we were just trying to simplify that a little bit. Uh, but we really just did like working draft because, again, you know, coming from the homebrew world, homebrewers rarely brew the same thing twice, or even if they're trying to brew the same thing twice, they rarely brew the same thing twice. Um, <laughs> And you know, we wanted to embrace sort of the playfulness of it. That you know, that you know, everything is oh, work in progress. And then also um, from like I do have a writing background, um, and certainly Ryan being a poet, uh, we wanted to sort of embrace the the writing aspect of it too. So it's certainly there's a couple a couple different things going on with the name. So it's it's a little fuzzy. So it's not a great elevator pitch, I know. But. Okay, well, I'm getting a little thirsty. We always like to ask our interview subjects, if you could take over the taps of the Tap Takeover podcast, what beers would those be to tell the story? So actually, you brought a couple here, so let's start with the first one. All right, I, I, think, the, I think the father should talk about this one, Clint. <laughs> yeah, so the, the first beer that we're going to taste is our Hindsight Pilsner. So it's actually the first beer that we brewed on our seven-barrel brewery was this beer. It was slightly different in that we didn't filter the first batch, and we gave it a different name. The initial name was... Zwickle Vision found out shortly after that yeah, there's a trademark on Zwickle. Ran into some problems with that one. Right? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we weren't able to keep that name. It was a hell of a run, though. It was a hell of a run. Yeah, we had one. We had one well, it was two brews, two, two brews. brews right. But you know, we were contacted by the, the people at New Glarus, and they they told us, you know, we've got trademark on this. Uh, you guys can't use the name. We'll give you. They were really generous. They gave us plenty of time to change it you know we're, we're fortunate in that we're we're pretty much selling everything over the bar so it's really easy for us to change names we don't have a bunch of package stuff out there we don't have to buy new packaging so it wasn't a big deal and uh we totally understand the the nature of trademark laws are if you don't enforce it you lose it they've got to do it at least there wasn't a cease and desist right right yeah no it was a phone call they were they were great about it and and we were excited it was easy for us to change it we were more than happy to change the name um that's the name hindsight because in hindsight, <laughs> we should have known that you know a company like Nuclearis probably trademarks most of their beer names, and we all knew that that beer existed. To get to the beer, this is our take on a German Pils. You know, I've brewed a number of Pilsners in my career. I love Pilsner. I'm a total Pilsner nerd, and I'm still making tweaks to this one, still trying to get it exactly where I want it. But I'm pretty happy where it is now. But it's not finished. So is this <laughs> hindsight going back to the chapter? I mean, this is this just is chapter one. We actually have we've we've not made any significant changes to this beer, but there, we got some coming down the pipeline. I, I'm onto some some uh, new threads and theories in uh, German lager brewing that have, I've, I'm chasing after a certain flavor profile that um, it's hard to describe. I tasted in a lot of imported beers. I tasted in breweries that do German style lager really well, and it's something that I really would like to have in our German style lagers that I don't taste quite yet, and I'm. I'm racking my brain constantly on how to get it in there, and I've got some ideas. So it's not finished. What are we supposed to be tasting here? So we, we use all German malts in this. So everything we every malt we use in this is from Weirman malting. So it's I think 95% Weirman pills and about 5% Weirman Carahel. We mash really low, so we try to get a really nice dry finish, and then we're hitting it pretty heavy at the end of boil with German Herzbrucker hops. Everything's German. The yeast we use is 3470, or it's sort of like a uh, slightly different version of 3470, so it's a standard lager yeast, a Weinsteffen lager yeast that a lot of breweries in the world use, except this one is a little less flocculent and a little more attenuative, so it, it's a pain because it's really hard to harvest the yeast, but it's great because it dries out like crazy and it gives us really, really nice sulfur character that I really love in our lagers. So it's simple, you know, there's not a whole lot to it, but well, I, I think, think that I think there's a lot to this. There's, a, there's a lot to it in flavor, there's not a whole lot to it in terms of recipe. You know, I think one of the things that I learned from, specifically from Kirby at Wisconsin Brewing Company, is that quality of ingredients, less makes more, basically. Uh, so he kind of taught me that if you use really, really high quality raw materials and less of them, you're better off than using a huge mishmash of 
a million different malts and a million different hop varieties to try to get some crazy mix of flavors. Usually that ends up pretty muddled. There's a great bread, grain, malt flavor coming through, but it, it's not sweet, and it ends really crisp, really dry. I mean, it just... Once it's done flavoring on your tongue, that's it. It's done. You're ready for another to sip. To me, it doesn't match the appearance. It looks very light. There's a lot of malt complexity there. Ben, what do you think about it? And as you kind of tell us about this, what's the collaboration process between you and Clint as far as coming up with new recipes? I think one thing I really like about this beer is just like that spicy character. Like you say, it, you know, it looks like a lawnmower beer and it sort of drinks like a lawnmower beer, but there's so much more complexity there i just i just i love the spice so the uh, collaboration when we're you know when we're talking about you know what what to brew and how to brew it we do have a weekly production meeting where we sort of set out what we want the overall tap list to look like to make sure to have a good mix of especially as we get into winter dark beers we still want to brew our hoppies still want to keep our our german lagers but you know we really do trust Clint to make the calls. Like you know, we'll we'll sit around and taste beers together. Like you know, we'll we'll sit down when a new one, when a, a new beer comes down the pike or just a new batch of a beer that we've already brewed. You know, we'll sit around and you know and taste it and like I'm getting this, I'm not getting that, and you know, like everyone will give him feedback of like you know what they're tasting or what they're not tasting. But you know, we we really do trust you know Clint to be the uh, the chef back there, and I you know. And he's doing a great job. Yeah, excellent. So you guys have also done a lot of outside collaborating too. Um, when you started the brewery, did you guys open with a bunch of collaboration beers that you did with other breweries as well? We did. What was it? Eight different places, Clint? Yeah, I think I think eight. So it was, uh, it was like Rockhound here in town, Great Dane, Parched Eagle, Wisconsin Brewing Company, Hop House. Next door. Next door. One barrel. One barrel. That, that might be. Maybe um, it was seven. And then midsummer we did Kettle Sour collaboration with Titletown as well. well, 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 well oh, we also well, did Lone Girl. Lone Girl. Lone Girl. Nice. Yeah. Good call. Thank what you. was the reasoning behind doing so many collaborations right off the bat? Uh, there's, I would say, a couple different reasons. Uh, one, like, which is maybe not the mo- most romantic of reasons, but you can't brew beer until you are okayed by the feds and the state. And so, you know, the brewing stuff is sitting there for a long time. And at a certain point, we need to start paying the bills on said. So, like, that's a that's a way to get beer on our system without actually having brewing it here. But also, again, with the, with the connections that Clint has made, you know, through working at House of Brews, Vintage, uh, working uh, Wisconsin Brewing Company, and then all the connections that we have with all the different breweries with the wine and hop shop. Like you know, we're friends with all these people, and so I, you know, I think when we announced that we were opening a place, I think everyone was really excited for us, and you know, we've worked with them a lot in the past. So I think it's just, you know, that's a just another way to build community, and you know, we're hoping that we can return the favor that like that we want people to you know come brew with us here and uh you know really just that we re- we really like the ties to the community you know whether it be just the neighborhood or the brewing community in general We're actually starting the first round of that on wednesday with the wisconsin brewing company just coming coming into our thunderdome and brewing with us <laughs> yeah, that's what so, we find all these uh, interviews is it's a very uh collaborative environment you know there's really very little competition you just call up hey i need this i need this you know yeah that happens a lot you know we, we were do, doing a batch of beer and like oh man we need 13 pounds of something hops like doesn't take more than two phone calls in town to find it and same thing you know people call yep. us and you know like hey we need you know giant jones is a new brewery over here every once in a while we'll, like hey can you order us a bag of organic you know roast barley stuff like that and that's 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 a great part of the uh, the brewing world, I think. Yeah, so that speaks more to kind of what, what I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, kind of one of the core philosophies behind Working Draft, and that's this whole community-based brewery. Obviously, I'm a home brewer myself. I dream of opening a brewery just so that I can get lots of beer that I like to drink. What are some of the real core philosophies uh, behind Working Draft? Well, I think the... the you, like you said, community is a big one. If you look at the, this is not going to be quite as interesting for the <laughs> listeners, but if you look right behind you, we've got this ginormous mural called How We Gather. And that's, you know, the focal point of the brewery. And uh, I think that's that's a really big one. A big core is making good beer. You know, you know why open a brewery if that's not, you know, at or near the top of the list? Um, another one is just finding and keeping good work 
for people. Like, you know, for me personally, like, you know, I loved working and love working with all the people at the wine and hop shop. But especially if you have a family working part time at a homebrew shop is not a long term solution. And, you know, part of why I wanted to do this is I get to, you know, I get to work with Clint again. You know, like Aaron, who's behind the bar, like he works at the shop as well. And, um, you know, just being able to just have more connections you know with the with friends and you know family is, is great well, and from a business standpoint you had built-in staff when you opened the place right yeah and that that didn't that didn't hurt either uh you know and built-in you know people who know beer and are passionate about beer and also are really good at you know customer service i mean that, yeah, that was that was a nice uh that, that was a nice bo- bonus as well so yeah so community building you know making good beer uh, supporting the arts is a big one again the mural uh, if you look around the walls all the different arts minus the swag up there all the arts uh, is a rotating uh, art show I think this is the third one we've had in here uh, we do music first Monday uh, each month actually one of the uh, musicians who plays it the first Monday of the month who's also my son was sitting over there enjoying his first legal beer had some beer with with mom and dad but that's just that's, you guys start like Clint but uh I, I think community is a, is a community and supporting yeah, the arts. I, I think, is a think like one. a human human element's a big part of it. You touch on this already, but I, I, a really big part of it was just creating a sense of community and creating good paying jobs and more so than like profits and being a, a business where we could all make money off of. I mean, if that happens, great, but that was never the point of this. The point was always to make good beer, have a cool place where people could gather and feel comfortable here and just provide jobs for people that were sustainable and pay well and feel like they're rewarded in their workplace. We're going to continue the journey here to the next beer. As he's passing it around, I want to reference this mural. Again, this makes for great radio. Just check <laughs> it, out the picture looks, gallery. Any reference to your tattoo? Actually, there is. When when she was uh, the artist's name is uh, Jenny Gao. When she was first, you know, working with us in the process and showing us some sort of sketch ups, it was fairly similar to the mural, but it was uh, without any of the the hops or the barley or the little yeasties hanging off of it. It was just basically plain arms. You know, we were like, well, we don't want to like punch in the face with like beer, 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 but like we do want like an element of that and someone was like hey you should take a picture of your arm and send it to her and so I did and that's what she came up with so it's that's awesome so there's a little little a little bit of me on the wall excellent so Clint tell us about your second baby here yeah so this is our best selling beer every brewery starts out looking for a flagship I feel like you always think you know what your flagship is going to be and it's never what you think it's going to be. So we, we brewed a number of these beers in Ryan's garage when we were starting out. And Pilsner is part of that. Near East, our West Coast IPA. And then this beer, Pulp Culture, is part of that. We thought Near East was going to be our flagship. It was really great, piney, straightforward West Coast IPA. We all really loved it in the early batches. And we thought for sure that that was going to be the one that sold the best. And when I was putting these beers together, I was thinking of kind of just flavor profiles. You know, for the IPAs, I wanted to have a number of IPAs, but I didn't want them to all be the same. So I wanted a piney one, and I wanted a fruity one, and then I wanted to do like a lower alcohol pale ale that was a mix of piney and fruity, and the double IPA that was a mix of piney and fruity. But our two IPAs, I was thinking we'd have one piney and one fruity. I really thought piney would do better. That wasn't the case. Uh, fruity, which it made sense to make the fruity IPA into the hazy IPA, uh, just took off. And honestly, we brewed that beer a couple of times in Marion's garage, and it was never what I wanted it to be. And then I made a drastic recipe change on the seven barrel system in our first brew of it. It was pretty much what you're drinking right now. Is this so chapter two? Is three, three, right? three, uh, three, this three. one's chapter three. Yeah. three? Chapter okay. three. We've made some changes to it. Um, nothing super crazy, but we've definitely made some changes. Um, so this is our take on Hazy IPA. I, I would say that it's just a touch more bitter than your standard Hazy IPA. So do you put any hops in the boil? Or yeah, is so we're doing about five BUs worth in the beginning of the boil, and then we're hopping pretty heavily in Whirlpool, which gives us some bitterness, but not a ton. And then we're dry hopping. The heaviest hop addition is in dry hopping. And, and what are the hops that you put in here? So we're, we're using Magnum in the beginning of the boil, which is what we use for bittering on pretty much all of our beers. And then it's Denali and Mosaic in Whirlpool, and then we're dry hopping with Denali, Mosaic, Enigma, and and Amarillo in this latest edition. Um, and the Amarillo, is the that's the difference from chapter th- two to three, yep. right? 
Yep, so we were using Eldorado. I love Eldorado, but it's a little more delicate hop, so it, it, I think it gets lost amongst all these big, loud hops that we use for dry hopping, so I kind of figured, why have it in there if we can just pull it out and put in something that, that is a little more pronounced and will add more, more flavor to it, basically. And then for the grist, we're using 50% two-row, 35% wheat, and 15% Simpson's Golden Naked Oats, and that's a really huge part of the flavor profile of the spirit is the Golden Naked Oats. Golden Naked Oats are, are definitely different than flaked oats. They are darker in color. They're actually sort of considered like a caramel malt because they're roasted. And they, they have about, I think they're rated at about 11 degrees lava bonds. So they're like pretty dark compared to a flaked oat that's like maybe two, three lava bond. And they lend this really cool berry, nutty, biscuity, character and that silky oat mouthfeel. And I love them in this beer. It's a very light, pillowy mouthfeel to it. And yeah. I, li- I like the bitterness at the end. It's, and it gives it that little extra kick to, to the it does. It definitely has a little bit of bite there. I mean, you get some of the IBUs, but overall, it, it does, definitely has a very soft mouthfeel. Well, that's what I've been like, these hazy IPAs are so juicy, so much like, um, almost sweetness, you know, fruity. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember having all these IPAs that were like in your face bitter, you know. <laughs> And this is a really good blend of that, those two, you know? Right, yeah, and I, I think that's what I really like about it. I mean, I think that we'll continue to tweak this beer, and I think that I might even, in subsequent batches, drop the bitterness a little bit, but some of my favorite hazy IPAs have not been so soft that they're sweet and have enough bitterness to make them drinkable. So if I can reference, I'll probably reference Kirby too many times in this, <laughs> but to reference Kirby again... One of the things that he hammered in my head is that brewing is a consumption game. Beer is a consumption-based business. And that that balance between sweet and bitter drives how much of a beer you can drink. And so with this hazy IPA trend, I get it. I get why people love it, and I love it. I really like a lot of those beers, too, and I'm not at all like putting down that style because we make them, so why would I do that? But I think that there's some of them that are just so soft that it's almost cloying. It hangs on the palate. It's sweet. It's... It's this big fruit, fruity, sweet thing going on that can be hard to drink. And some of my favorite examples are ones that really have that softness and that bitterness level dialed in and perfectly balanced. And that's really what I would like to, at some point, kind of get to. I think that this this beer is good, but I think it, it could use a a little shift in that balance. And I I'm I'm working towards that. Man, this guy thinks this is imperfect. Wow. <laughs> That's, I like that guy. <laughs> I'm never happy with anything. <laughs> ben, what do you think about this beer? I do really like pulp culture. Unfortunately, I don't get to drink it very often because I am my mother's son, and I don't do wheat real well. Oh. And oh so, yeah. Yeah, this is not from Alt Brewing, is it? It is not from <laughs> Alt Brewing. And um, unfortunately, starting about a year ago, started have, having to pick my battles a little bit with uh, which beers I can drink and which beers I should stay away from. Yeah, that, that was a uh, that was a heartbreaker for me. <laughs> but, well, I'll so, give yeah. you my hard-hitting analysis. It's good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. You know, I think this is a good time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, more beer and see what these guys got going on the rest of the year and in the next year. So we'll be right back. All right, thanks. Clint, tell us about the next beer here. So the next beer that we're drinking is our American Premium Light Lager Above Ground Pool. Beer that we did for Craft Beer Week here in Madison. Like most of us, grew up with like your dad's Light Lager. The one that was huge in my household was High Life or High Life Light. This is not like that. It's 35% flake corn. I forget the percentage of Wireman Carahel. Just a little bit of a little bit to give it some sweetness and body. And then the rest of it is Barista's Synergy Pills, which is like kind of their take on a imported German or Czech Pilsner malt. And they do a really, really good job of it. So it's like, I like to think of it as like a fancy American light lager. So it's got the corn in it, it's got the adjuncts, but it's also got a really fancy base malt. And we're, we're hopping it. We're giving it a pretty good dose of Herzbrucker at the end of the end of the boil as well, so it's got more hop character as well. So when did this beer become like a staple? Was it one of the first ones? That's one of the things with the microbreweries. People are still coming into them and saying, "Hey, uh, do you have anything like Miller Lite?" 
So, um, I mean, is it was it early on that you thought we have to get these people? I that- think it was early on. I never wanted to brew this beer to, to get that crowd. I wanted to brew this beer to see if I could brew this beer and have it. Because this is like the hardest, one of the hardest styles to brew, right? Is to brew something that's really light and simple and have it be free of off layers. There's nowhere to hide a mistake, exactly. right? Exactly. It was something that I had thought of doing for a while. And then it just seemed like the timing was right to do it i mean we're going into summer again you know i have an appreciation for the style and i'd like to say that there was some really long thought out process for it but we kind of just decided to do it (laughs) yeah and we we thought it was funny and ironic to have our marquee event for madison craft week be the release of our light lager that's awesome so so yeah so so our our big event we uh you know everyone's you know tap takeovers or you know, super imperial triple IPAs, and we yeah we did a lager tap takeover with yeah you know, the marquee release being the above ground pool. So we got like special glasses made, and they're 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 really fun. You'll have to show them to you. But so yeah. each year, have a lot more week, we're going to have a, an above ground pool party. <laughs> and hopefully, when we have our patio, we'll actually probably kiddie pool. Get some kiddie some pools out there. Pool yeah. out there. This is actually one of the beers I'm most proud of, and this is one of the beers that we entered in the Great American Beer Festival, and the one that I had the highest hopes for, honestly, because I think I realized afterwards that it's sort of a weird in between, and that it probably suffers from that in terms of like placing competitions because. It's too hoppy to be an, an American-style light lager, and it's got too much adjunct to be a German-style light lager. So it's really in between. It's It uses really nice base malt. It's got really nice German hops in it, and it's got that spicy, sulfury flavor profile. But it's also got corn, so it's it's light on the palate, and it's really drinkable and crushable. And I, I mean, I love it. It's like three, it ranges from 35 to 3.6% alcohol, and it's could drink this all day it's wonderful i love this beer so once again at 2018 jabf uh, a maco brewer won the american light lager style category do you think at some point a craft brewer will run that style god i hope so (laughs) i was really i really wanted to usurp the the macros (laughs) with this one but like i said i just think it's too outside of the two styles you have to trick to brew like true to style for a competition yeah you kind of do or, or do you think that maybe you need to kind of change the perception of that style? Like, I really like this beer because it's flavorful. Do we need to continue to accept the American Light Lager category as this flavorless corn beer? Or can it have flavor? Can it have a little bit triple hopped? I mean, honestly, what Miller Light is triple hopped per their marketing ploy, right? <laughs> I would love, <laughs> tell you. I would love a triple hopped Miller Light. That would be freaking fantastic, well, right? I mean, I'll tell you that I'm not going to change this beer <laughs> to fit that. Uh, I love it the way it is, and this has probably been the most consistent brew that we've done from batch to batch, and I have no desire to change anything about the formula or recipe or the way that we've been making it. You know, I, I'm really critical of the stuff that I do, I have a weird thing where, like, I hate a lot of the stuff I make. Like, it's this placebo, reverse placebo effect. (laughs) Like, if I made it, it's somehow inferior. And this is, like, the one beer that has never done that to me. That I can't find anything wrong with it. It's my favorite light lager. I'm very, very proud of it. And I would put it up against any light lager in the world. Honestly, and I don't say that about any of my beers. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite beers, and certainly my like happiest surprise of like went to the brewer game Friday, took six different crawlers, you know, double IPA, double brewed IPA, you know, pulp, all sorts of stuff, and like, and I think, I think the above ground pool is my favorite one. Still brought it home for you, right? Yeah, and granted, I guess tailgating at yeah. Miller Park, you know, you got you gotta like the light stuff. I don't know if it's the uh, table or something, but I just feel like I want to be at a bowling alley to see what I would be drinking well, and this, uh, having the nice thin crust pizza, you know. Good transition, but not really. Back to the space. So tell us a little bit about some of the furniture in here. It's a pretty neat setup. Sure. Yeah. So we're, we're sitting at, at a table and again, this is great radio. Uh, you can see on the table, there's 10 little dots. And the, the, it's actually the, the pin decks where they set the pins down from a bowling alley and um, my brother Matt, who's another one of our owners, and I like to bowl a lot. And 
we were at a bowling alley in town and they were they were getting rid of their lanes to replace them with newer ones and we thought that might be sort of cool so we bought you know half a ton of bowling alley and rented a u-haul truck and got some strong people and took him to one of our friends who was, was a carpenter and he you know sanded him down and prettied him up and then another one of our friends who's a, a metal artist designed a frame and built the frame and now we're sitting at tables our bar is also uh, where you set the ball down in a bowling out bowling lane and uh, so we think if you know uh, people Mad- madisonians and village lanes our tables and bar came from lanes 24 25 and 26 of village lanes which is which is sort of cool and you were saying the same friend that the uh, tap handles or yep the uh, same metal worker made our tap handles and then also designed and made our flight trays once you figure them out are really cool the first time you pick them up it feels like you're gonna dump all your beer I, on the, on I the ground i was really concerned yeah. for jim on that first one <laughs> yeah but, uh, no it's a little tricky you think you can lift up but it's not you gotta yeah. push down yeah but once uh, you got pro, it though, it works great pro tip push down on the flight trays well jim use your pro tip and pass the next uh, <laughs> all right so over. what's up next Speaking of segues, let's do Liquid Delight. All right, Liquid Delight. So this beer is uh, something that was inspired by everybody's love for pastry stout. I've had a lot of like deep thoughts about the huge trend in beers inspired by food, specifically dessert. Kind of get both sides of it. There's part of me that's like, if you if you want something that's sweet and dessert like, just eat that. Don't like if you if that's what you like, you don't like beer, so don't drink beer. But looking at it from the brewer's perspective, if we can get people to drink beer that otherwise would not drink beer, why is why is there anything wrong with that? And so, I mean, this is kind of my take on that. You know, I think that stout's a really obvious base for dessert-inspired beers, but there are other beers that are good good bases for that. So, the the beer that kind of inspired this actually was a, a beer we used to make at Wisconsin. Well, we. They still make it at Wisconsin Brewing Company. I think they've made some changes to it. But we did a, a Scotch Ale that was a Stein beer. So we used Hot Rocks. It was typically a single malt beer, all Marisotter. And we would boil it, a portion of the wort with Hot Rocks and it would create a really intense caramelization. And so with that beer in mind, I was thinking that light base with that really like light caramel character almost like a the crust on a creme brulee would be a really good base for something dessert like and i love girl scout caramel delight cookies aka samoa cookies so this is like a weird like late night thought in my head where i couldn't sleep for a stupid reason i'm thinking about cookie beers that's why i can't <laughs> sleep that's, what keeps that's the night. stuff that keeps me up at night it's insane it shouldn't but it does so we brought up production meeting and these guys never let, never say no to me. So <laughs> I have an idea, and they're just like, "Yeah, fine." So I oh, do it until he pr- and it, until he gives us a reason to say no. We're not going to say no. And yeah, until I'm like, "Let's make a dog turd beer." They're they're not going <laughs> to tell me no. Have you put enough hops in it? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, but anyways, this beer is the whole idea was it that we're going to make essentially like a blonde scotch ale, so something an ale that's that's high in alcohol that's really malty and sweet and has a lot of like biscuit but light caramel character not deep raisiny caramel character so this one was simpson's best pale malt wireman carahel and breeze's caramel 40 so i was going for that really really light again like burnt sugar creme brulee crust type of caramel character and then we uh, infused some toasted coconut and some uh, cocoa nibs from our friends at WM Chocolates who are actually their cocoa processing areas on the other side of this building and they're awesome they do all sorts of like weird funky single origin cocoa nibs that have really really unique characters to them so he's great to work with Will Will is the guy from WM Chocolates that I work with and, he, and he'll I'll tell him what I want and he'll bring me over a bunch of cocoa nibs and be like try this try this try this and He's the guy who, like, when I first tried his bars of chocolate, it redefined what chocolate could be for me. You know, you have those epiphany moments where you have a food that's always been a homogenous one thing your entire life, and then you try it from somebody who puts time and care and passion into it and really focuses on, like, the origin of where the ingredients come from, and it really changes what that can be for you. And that's, that's what WM Chocolates did for me. 
We use a cocoa nib out of Ghana from them. It's like really classic chocolatey. It's almost cinnamony in a way. I mean, it melts really well with the coconut. And I really, again, I don't like a lot of stuff I make, but I feel pretty good about how this turned out. It's it's a small cookie in a glass. Yeah, no, this, this turned out really well. I love the nose, that first taste, you get that sweetness. But what I really like is no aftertaste. That's what I. That's what I really like. Because sometimes these sweet beers are like just like coin. Yeah, it's very coin. Yeah. This is not. It's still got some dryness to it. The chocolate flavor in this is absolutely amazing. I mean, the coconut is there. It's more on the nose than it is on the palate. Um, but the chocolate flavor is amazing. It's a very light, effervescent chocolate flavor that comes across. I didn't have high expectations when I saw this up on the board. I'm like, hmm. It was a, a weird description. Uh, John Scotch Ale yeah. cocoa nibs with like, coconut. That sounds kind of weird, but this does not taste weird at all. This tastes pretty freaking awesome. You know what's really cool about making this beer is that coconut, and, I, and I've done coconut beers in the past, and there's a little bit of vanilla in this too, but not enough to call it a vanilla beer. More just to like round things out. But coconut and vanilla are things that come on pretty much instantaneously. Within hours of me adding them to the beer, I'll taste them. The chocolate in the cocoa nibs takes time. So it always makes you nervous. Like, you add it, you get it in there, you get huge coconut, you get the vanilla immediately, and you're like, all right, where's the, where's the chocolate? Where's the cocoa nibs? They're not coming out. And then it's like day three or four, you taste it, and it's like overnight transformation. It's gone from being a vanilla coconut beer to the chocolate just like taking center stage and bringing everything together in this awesome harmonious fashion yeah, we, we knew it was going to be good news like you know like clint said very often when he you know draws a sample out of the fermenter of a, especially a beer he just brewed for the first time he tastes it and he's like eh, you know hemming and hawing and like picking out things that he wishes were a little bit different and when he took out a sample like after the transfer transformation and just sort of smiles like yeah i think i nailed it like <laughs> Like, okay, just, this just, is this is going to be a one to watch because he does not say that very often. So. Just just from the way you described it, I mean, you pretty much nailed everything you were going for in this beer. It's fantastic, it really is. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are saying that adjunct beers are kind of this fad or they're gimmicky, but I, I really have this opposite view where it, it's actually a liberation of beer, and, and I think that's what we've seen over just the past couple of years. Beer is no longer a style. You don't brew, you know, an Oktoberfest. You don't brew an IPA. Now, the whole world is open to us to drink in a beer. And something like this would never have happened just a few years ago. So, I mean, kudos to you guys for, you know, continuing to uh, be on that frontier of making something new for us to drink. For me, I feel like it's a little bit like, you know, commercial beer almost catching up to the homebrew world where, like, clearly... You know, on par, the commercial beer is probably going to be better than a lot of homebrewers' beer. But, but you know, homebrewers have been experimenting with stuff like this for a long time. And, like, you know, it is, I think you're right. I think liberate, liberating is a good word. And, like, the cool thing is not everyone has to drink it. Like, you know, if you want to stick to classic German lagers, there are plenty of classic German lagers you can find out there. And if you, if you want to stay away from the hazy craze, there are plenty of good piney West Coast IPAs you can drink. But the more beer for everybody is great. Well, let's talk about another beer style I like. Now that the cooler nights means barrel-aged beers. When I was over there taking pictures, I noticed some J. Henry barrels. Are you guys doing any uh, barrel aging? Yeah, we sure are. <laughs> All right, well, tell me more. So <laughs> Those weren't filled with whiskey, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So the, the beer that we have in those J. Henry barrels, we've been affectionately calling our Imperial Mild, which is an oxymoron. doesn't really make sense, but... The reason we call it that is because we make an English mild that we ac- I actually just filtered today with that we love the flavor profile on. For the listeners out there that aren't maybe super well-versed in beer styles, English mild is typically about 3 to 4% alcohol. It's not, it's not ideal for barrel aging. It doesn't so, have the alcohol to keep it real shelf-stable. So imperial mild, you must be pushing like 5, 5.5%. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) I think this one was actually in the 7 to 8 range Okay, that's that's not Imperial That's like triple Imperial, oh my god Okay, triple mild (laughs) (laughs) We we literally took I I took our mild recipe And I added a bunch of base malt to it Because I wasn't looking for increased 
character, I just wanted more alcohol. And then the fermenter, I was really disappointed with it. It just tastes like your basic scotch ale. And I was like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. It's The plan was to put it in barrels. I'm going to put it in barrels, but it's it's fine. And now that we've had it in barrels for just about six months now, I think we're going to empty them pretty soon because it's, it's picking up a lot of the character that I was looking for, which it seems to have lost a lot of the yeast ester and stuff, and that's faded out. And it's brought forward more of dried fruit, raisin, black tea, pipe tobacco, and that's a lot of the stuff that we really like about our original mild. And that's something that I actually really appreciate in a lot of barrel-aged beers. You know, vanilla, coconut, all that stuff, you get that in a lot of barrel-aged beers, but the ones that I really like is when you get some of this oxidized, oxidized things character, I guess is the only way I know how to describe it, because it's not necessarily fruit. It's oxidized anything, anything that's dried and stored or made to be shelf-stable by dehydrating. You get a lot of those flavors in barrel-aged beer, and I get a lot of that in, in this beer. And we're, we're calling it Up is Up, because the uh, base beer that we base it off of is Up is Down, English Mild. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that one. And, you know, Jane Henry Bourbon is awesome. It's like the best, the best local bourbon I've had. I'm not a huge bourbon drinker, so I'm by no means an expert, but I've worked with those guys in the past. They're awesome. They make really, really good bourbon, and so I'm excited to have some of their barrels in-house. Now, is that the first time you're doing this, and what's the plans for future barrel aging? Well, actually, we, we have one other barrel project going on right now, which is actually round two, where we, we took our dad bod oatmeal stout and put it in whiskey barrels that were then used to house maple syrup for nine months and put put that in there for what three four months it was a smaller barrel so the from, the, from the, patterson sugar bush her, yeah from patterson sugar bush and uh we named that one uh, you know the other beer was called uh dad bod so we, we named uh this one mom jeans and so we actually have mom jeans chapter two in the uh cooler aging away right now how, yep how long do we think until that one's ready uh we've been leaving in barrels for about two to three months so it'll be ready sometime in november and that one's interesting because it's we're really not looking for a lot of wood character out of that so we're not leaving it in there for like six months we're really just kind of trying to pull the maple the maple syrup has pulled a lot of the wood character out and a lot of the booze character out and we're just trying to integrate that maple syrup that's already done the job for us into right. the beer and, and then we have some rye barrels from uh, Wollersheim yep that we're still we're gonna oh. fill those with Imperial dad bod That's right. so we've done a, a bigger version of our our oatmeal stout next week we are gonna fill those barrels with Imperial dad bod where are they going <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's tight back there. I'm, I'm going to try to... I'm trying to work this out where I can empty the one barrels before I fill the other ones. We could fit... Typically, we're only four bourbon barrels equals pretty close to a seven-barrel batch. So what the, one of the cool things we did with our Imperial Dad Bot is we did a double batch of it. So we can release half of it unbarrel aged, and then we'll do the other half. We'll put into barrels, and we'll release it probably sometime next year obviously but there's not a lot of space back there so we i'm trying to finagle things in a way that i can empty the up is up barrels and get them out of the way and then fill the up is or the um, imperial dad bod barrels but we could fit both of them back there i'd just rather not <laughs> it, it, won't be, it won't be fun for anyone right, right exactly <laughs> and you guys Tetris every day right <laughs> you guys would never do sours right or have you? Uh, never say never. I mean, I'm hoping that we can. All uh, these things uh, need room, you know. That's yeah, the problem. I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not comfortable doing sours in our space that we have now. I think if we can figure out a way to get more space or segregate some of our space for sour barrel production away from the brewery, I'd feel better about it. But we're in pretty tight quarters back there, so I, I don't, I'm, I'm not super excited about risking it right now and that's where that that collaboration idea comes into play there's a uh, there's a place in town called uh funk factory oh yeah funk factory. Uh, does, uh, i've heard they've made a sour too they've made a couple <laughs> couple two three couple, sours yeah, over there three, funk, yeah. right? but that levi yeah, that so levi he makes a good beer yay <laughs> so yeah we've been uh we've been talking with them about doing a collaboration like taking you know maybe a wort that we make and then having them sour and sit on it for a long time and so that, that'll probably be the first 
like non-kettle sour or sour that we try and make. I think we should continue our journey or actually finish our journey here. We got one more beer to do and while we're doing this let's talk more about the the space here. You also have food available. So tell people about your menu and how that was kind of put together here. Sure. The the food's been uh, it's been a journey. Initially we were we had a pretty different business model starting out than what we are currently. We were going to be doing some barbecue with a different company and that just that just didn't work out, you know, like some things in life don't. And then the Heritage Tavern uh, it was a real good restaurant here in town. Jumped in and helped us out and basically ran a uh, pop-up for about a month. And then we hired a couple guys to start running the food and slowly, slowly they took over. And so now we've got a pretty seasonal, rotating, I'd say 10 to 12 item food menu, three mains, like two sandwiches and a, and a rotating uh, green bowl, then a bunch of shareables. Like a you know traditional cheese plates, uh, rotating veggie plates, you know a couple other things. Um, but I'd I'd say it's you know it's, it's very very local, very seasonal. John, our food manager, if he can get it at the local farmers market, he is pretty neat. They make everything that they can in house. Like you know, our Cuban sandwich, the 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 pickles on the sandwich are pickled and made in house. The mustard is made in-house they're, they're they're really impressive like i've learned a lot about the food industry and just ma- the making of food starting this place up that's i i i was not prepared to you know see really know and understand what happens with the restaurant and that's been a big learning curve and a really exciting learning curve for me i'm, I'm glad i asked about the food but I'm, now i'm getting hungry so. <laughs> yeah I, i've actually you know to comment on that i really loved uh, working closely with those guys, you know. Again, for the the listeners, you can't really see our space, but we've got like a half wall dividing the brewery and the kitchen space. You have to and walk through the kitchen. Yeah, you have to walk yeah. through the kitchen to get to the brewery. And it's been really awesome to have those guys be a part of our staff because they've, again, you know, if you go back to my original comments, I've always loved cooking and making things for people, and so I have a really huge interest in in food and food production and just cooking and it's really cool to to be a half of a wall away from those guys and to see them make food and and just zone out and stare at John while he chops vegetables because it's <laughs> it's very zen and amazing to watch you know people that are professional. Professionals in the food industry make stuff is really, really cool. There's a lot of really relatable things in the beer industry and the food industry, and it's I love working closely with those guys and just seeing them, you know, exercise their craft. They're awesome. Any, any plans to let them step outside the box and maybe do a beer dinner or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I don't think we put them in a box. We let them do whatever they want. They're pretty yeah. much running the show. We have no guidelines for them. Yeah, we, we don't say no to Clinton. We don't really say no to John either. Yeah, we we trust the experts. That, something that won't hit the normal everyday menu. You know? Yeah, they do a good job of you know rotating stuff through like you know very very seasonal. So you know for about two weeks we had a uh, like a spring toast where like they took to- you know toast and put like a cheese spread on it and put fresh asparagus on it and like drizzled it with olive oil and then the camera's like radish or something and it was amazing but we only had it for about two weeks because then when the asparagus season ended like that was the end of like good fresh asparagus and you know it does the same thing with like tacos like actually Clint went home and made these like you know for about two weeks when the sweet corn was awesome like they made shishito pepper sweet corn street tacos and wow. like so Clint like watching John chop vegetables, <laughs> watched him make those. And he went home and like seared shishito peppers, oh, and they're like, awesome. Came, came in the next day, he's like, "I made those tacos. It was so easy and it was so awesome." I would, <laughs> I, I will go on the record as saying that I think that our tacos are the best in town, and I'm biased. I'm totally biased. And when should when should listeners awesome. come to get tacos? Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Taco Tuesdays. Yeah. Taco Tuesdays. Don't use that phrase. It might be trademarked by Taco John. So. Tacos on Tuesday. Let's talk about this next beer. Yeah, so this one that we're drinking now is called Peachin' to the Choir. So originally we did this beer for a biking event that we did in collaboration with Hop House Brewing Company in Verona. So we have a mutual bartender that is our employee and was an employee at Hop House Brewing Company. And he likes 
He's very much an outdoor adventure guy, really likes biking, and he set up this bike ride that went from our brewery to Hophouse Brewing Company in Verona, which is about probably 15-ish miles, I would assume. And the whole idea was they named it Bandwagon Bike Ride. We're going to do Bandwagon Beer Styles. So we're going to... They did a, a Shandy, and we did a Milkshake IPA. Peach Milkshake IPA is one that we've seen all over the place. So I figured I'd take a swing at it. It's not a style that I love, honestly, but... If I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it in a way that I'll like it. So we, we took a stab at it. We were happy with how it turned out. People loved it, of course, because it's a popular style, so why wouldn't they love it? And then we scaled it up and did it on our seven-barrel system, and we made a couple of small changes. One of the big changes was that we, we were doing a blend of peach and apricot puree, and the thought process there is that apricot is a little more intense little more acidic and can really boost that peach character so it, it peach is pretty delicate you need a lot of peach to make it come through especially in a hoppy beer but apricot can kind of lift peach character we also use a different vanilla extract that we got from our one of our local food purveyors it wasn't quite as intense which was nice because it made it easier to dial in the vanilla character that we wanted so the first batch I thought was a little bit heavier on vanilla, and this one is a little more balanced. And if I'm going to make a style that's like this big, obnoxious thing that is really <laughs> popular in the beer community right now, I want to make it drinkable. Because I really think that when all of this falls down, hazy IPA and all this stuff will stick around. It's not going to go away. But what I will think happen is it'll be more drinkable. Because that's what happens with everything. Drink, drink a Belgian quadruple in 2005 and tell me that that wasn't like a boozy, horrible monster yeah. <laughs> at that point in time. And then everybody throttles back. It's like they all go nuts and then they throttle back and they get it back into uh, Wait a minute, I want to sell more than of one of these, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And the same thing with the Russian Imperial Stouts. I mean, if you take an RIS from about 10 years ago... They're, they're a hot mess, really. I mean, they're over-the-top <laughs> boozy. They're super harsh, the kind of drink. And today, hey, you add a ton of oatmeal, you hop it up a little bit, and you adjunct the shit out of it, and next thing you know, you got a really tasty beer, right? So uh, getting back to this, uh, this is really good for a milkshake. And I'm there with you. This is super drinkable. And as of all your beers have been, they really kind of uh, are little bit on the dry side which means that you can have another sip you can you're not drinking that beer like 10 minutes later right some milkshake ipas are they're they're low coin sweetness they're they're over lactose but this again it, it ends and you can drink some more so this is i'm really enjoying this beer it's, it's great too and all your beers have been very approachable but they also have the flavor that you're going for and everything's in the right spot for me been very good. So as we as we wind down here on our interview tonight, can you tell us any plans for the future of Working Draft or any events or anything you got going on the rest of the year and into uh, spring? And also, the first time somebody into the the brewery, what do they expect? I guess to start with the last question first. Like, what can they expect? I mean, I think they can always expect that we'll have a couple. You know, a couple solid hoppy beers, if not four or five solid hoppy <laughs> beers. You know. Between two and four uh, solid German lagers that sort of morphs into like we'll be able to. If you look at it, our tap list is a little thin right now. It's you know sort of end of the summer and festival season. You know we're we're, we're having a little bit hard time keeping up, and so this winter we're gonna add another fermenter to allow us to have a little more flexibility with you know keeping some of those lagers on because the lagers you know do take a lot more time in the fermenter. I mean, but we can turn around an ale in like what 14 to 18 days, and the lager is 36 to 42 days. So that's that's a lot of fermenter time, uh, just you know, hanging there. Um, so that that's so that's sort of what people can expect. I think that's sort of plan moving forward. This Saturday we do have a our first ever. Well, most of our events are first ever at this point since we haven't even been open a year. <laughs> but we've got our uh, our booyah hoopla cook-off where um, Clint made our first saison. 
and then uh, we're gonna make a big batch of Bouillat, which is sort of a Belgian Wisconsin traditional sort of chicken soup slash stew. And uh, we're gonna, you know, try and raise some money for uh, the Belgian American coalition. Hopefully, get a patio. You know, the only thing better about drinking beer is drinking beer outside. But uh, beyond that, I think we're still just trying to get by day to day. So, you know, like plans don't uh, always go real, real far out in the future. You had mentioned that you're even now looking to get another fermenter just to keep up with demand within the tap house. But are you doing any distribution at all within uh, the community? or We do a small amount of distribution. Uh, we get some beers, you know, beers out into the world, like just trying to get kegs out to you know different restaurants and bars here in town um every once in a while we'll get one like you know the three cellars in milwaukee had us in a um with sunshine brewing in a new place in lake, lake mills, mills. Yep. took one of our keg but uh yeah it's mostly just to like get our name out that out there like my uh, my brother-in-law works at a restaurant a block and a half away and was talking about us and half the people he worked with had never heard of us and that was like you know two weeks ago and he's like it's around the corner they've been there for like eight months and and they're like, oh, no idea. So we're like, okay, well, I guess we need to keep getting the name out there. <laughs> but it is fun. You know, it's fun to go to a bar and, like, see work and draft on the list. Like, that's Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth cool. mentioning that our, our goal is to be our neighborhood brewery. We're really not looking to bring ourselves to people as much as we are looking to bring people to us. And yeah. that's always been our business model. So I think that if we can remain relevant in our in our neighborhood and in our community and in our town that's that's really all we're looking for we're not trying to be a regional brewery we're not trying to expand out and and build a hundred barrel brew house and 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 do all this crazy stuff that a lot of people are doing which is fine like i totally respect that but that's in no way shape or form our business model we want to serve our community well said. I think this is a good time to kind of wrap it up. I think we're all out of beer, right? I think we're all out of beer. So for myself, Jesus. Andy here. Clint. I'm Jim. I'm Ben. Thanks, guys. And this has been another Solid Non-Fail production.